Welcome to the pod, everyone. A shout out to SGS. Hey, Rusty, why are we uh, partnering with SGS? Uh, uh, some, some, some good people there. Pretty excited about their sports coaching courses and sports courses. Keen to make them industry ready so when people leave, they're able to go and transfer it to any kind of industries, coaching, teaching, being an analyst, business, whatever it might be. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it's pretty exciting times, really. So what's so special about their degree courses that others wouldn't be doing? I think it'll be lots of uh, real good partnerships, uh, opportunities for people to, to get into different contexts and learn and practice. It'll be, feel very applied. People will be stretched and supported and will leave you know, ready to just go and thrive in the uh, big old world out there. SGS College is the home of Bristol's higher education sports programmes. The programmes are designed to develop unique, innovative and creative sports practitioners ready for industry. Do you want to be a coach or teacher of the future? Start your journey here at SGS College and become more than just a graduate. Visit sgscol.ac.uk to apply now. Should be able to see that. Oh, It's a fancy start. No one will have heard it on the pod, but the lady now tells you that we are recording. Yeah, it just takes all of the guesswork out of things, doesn't it, mate, which is helpful. Helpful because, if you recall, when we first did the pod almost a year ago, I forgot to record the first one. It was probably the best pod I've done in my life. Yeah, second one wasn't quite as good, but, uh, mate, you well? Are you good? Yeah, very good, mate. Great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, it's getting a bit, a bit colder here now until winter, and uh, you guys are going opposite, but it's summer. Well, so, we've got 20 yeah, odd degrees, half term, sunshine outside. As, as you've 20, already, is, that, is, that, is, tw- is over 20 a heat wave? It's a heat wave, mate. It's the summer. And as you've seen, my wife is hating me being at home. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah. be back on the road next week, which will be good for her. She'll be pleased. Ah, oh, good man. Good man. So, uh, mate, what, what are you? No, well, let's. Yeah, like, I mean, for anyone quickly that doesn't know who you are, apart from, you know, as I christened you, most improved man on LinkedIn. You've moved to like yeah. king of LinkedIn now. What's nah. who are you are? Who are you? What are you doing? Where have you come from? All that. I'm um, just good, good Kiwi boy. Um, so born in Hastings, live in Tauranga, which is just a couple of hours south of Auckland, and um, working class family. Dad, a policeman, then turned freezing worker, mum a nurse, um, went to America, found a girl in New York that was unbelievably beautiful. So I'm the one of those blokes that walked down the street and uh, everybody looks and goes, how the hell did he get hurt? So that's me down to a T. Sort of found my way into sports, I suppose, by luck. And I probably spent the last 20 years helping people work in the the mental space, performance space, probably a bit of everything now um, in the high-performance world. So that's been me. Nice. And, and what's, it, what's on your uh, – what, what balls are you juggling at the moment? Yeah, normally quite a few, um, but probably the main one is Chiefs. Um, so yeah, in Super Rugby, that's probably taken up most of my time um, and most of my focus as part of the year. So cricket finished at the end of – or middle of April. So finished up with cricket then, then sort of rugby was already going, so bang, straight into rugby. Been doing quite a bit of consulting work with clubs and teams, so that's been a really, I suppose it's part of the additional work that I probably wasn't doing um, a couple of years ago, but have sort of just naturally morphed into it where, 
you know, people want to learn with what, what to how to be much more effective and efficient in the mental space than they currently are. And, you know, I think there's a widespread consensus that it's really, really important. I think, I don't think I'd done this last time we talked, but, you know, I did quite a, a thorough survey across a number of professional coaches and teams um, last year and sort of asked one question is how important do you think the mental side of performance is? And, hundred percent yes very important and then the next question was um how many of you currently have someone that resource within your performance staff and then secondly how much engagement do they get to week uh, per week because i think when you measure something like mental skills or you know whatever it is um the two great measures are resource and time right and even resources are sort of a 50 50 measure because someone go oh we've ticked that box and we've thrown 10k at someone um, so what, what came back in the survey is really interesting. So only 7% made of those teams had someone and the average engagement they had in the team was about three to five hours a week. So it was this massive uh, gap between what I just called um, perceived value and actualized value. So we have a perception that we are taking care of this part of performance, but in reality, we're not. So I suppose as I began to bang that drum as loud as I can in my little world, um, quite a few teams have sort of reached out and said, well, listen, what you're saying is resonating with us. We feel that, but we don't know what to do. And is there sort of a pathway and can you help us in that? So that's probably taken up a fair bit of my time across uh, quite a few different countries and sports. So that I find that stimulating and enjoyable because you're getting to shape hopefully and create with the team, a bit of a legacy around this, around the mental side and help them build programs and a proper strategy rather than just reactive stuff. Nice, and you'll be looking for wizards around the world um, oh <laughs> to help you. And I guess, yeah. um, well, you, you've met a lot of people in lockdown, so like mm. your online courses seems to have kind yeah, of yeah. taken off. And I'm obviously on one of the WhatsApp groups, which is fairly, yeah. uh, it's fairly keen. Um, yeah. Like, what's the stuff you're most proud of about that? Oh, the community, I think. You know, like, it's always a delight for me to jump on one of the WhatsApp threads and find out that, you know, someone in Ireland is helping someone in Argentina and where a guy's about to run a practice, he's a coach somewhere in the north of England and, you know, he panics five hours out, says, anybody got any ideas? What can I do? And everyone jumps on and helps him. He comes back and went, oh, I smashed it. That went awesome. So I suppose to me that's the, the most important part is you build these really lovely communities of people who, you know, I've met a bad person on these courses I've done. They just, they want to give, they want to be involved, they want to connect, they want to build community. And um, I think the stimulus of lockdown, you know, and you were a big part of this, made all these coaching communities that sort of emerged and have kept in touch. And I think the mental skills space was lacking a bit of that. So I, I think when I just said, hey, I'm going to run some courses, anybody interested in this? And I was surprised by the uptake. And then that sort of just morphed into a community of people now that are just sort of really exploring this area together and working together and helping each other. There's really limited egos, and I, I'm just delighted. I think that's the most important part. Yeah, no, so I wanted to jump on one of the threads. They asked about, like, what would it look like on the pitch? And I thought, oh, like, yeah. I'd be typing all day. If, you got to, yeah, if you've got a spare 10 hours, because I'll just get a badger you. Yeah, so yeah. Um, yeah. to be fair. You're so hungry to learn. It's awesome. Yeah, to be fair, I think Reese organised a Zoom with a group of them and it wasn't on that topic, but I was definitely like, you know, what it looks like on the pitch interested me. What, what are the headlines? So what's the stuff that 
you know, you, you think what's the four or five key things that people who've attended one of the courses would be taking away, do you think? Um, probably the, if I would look at the, 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 the big parts, and mind gyms are always what people, I suppose, come for because the mind gyms are, you know, if you want to use a term, it's applied psychology, right? So you're taking the theory side of things and then you're trying to apply it into the setting that's in front of you. And I think, you know, that might be quite an interesting insight into the whole mental skills world within sports is that um, there tends to be some really, really outstanding research and information gathered and people doing some incredible jobs of discovering what really happens to people under pressure. But there's probably still a bit of a challenge then. Okay, when I get in a group of, you know, for, for me, 35 or 32 men on a Monday morning who have just come off a loss, and, you know, in our case last year, we got up to, I think, 10 or 11 in a row. And you know that they're hurting. You know their minds are fragmented. What you know in theory is really helpful. But if you can't get in there with them and resonate with what they're feeling and thinking and not just give them knowledge, but give them tools to be able to maneuver out of that space and get into the space they need to, I reckon that, that's why I think something like the mind gyms or the the practical side of things have been really, really what I think have interested most people, if I want to use that term. Nice. Then maybe I'll talk a little bit about the kind of Sunday mum or dad at, at some point. And then the other thing yeah. that, that I've noticed is there's quite a few schools on your courses. So yeah, I, yeah. I now give a few shout outs to people like Holly Nathan yeah. and they've, they've enjoyed yeah. it. What's, um, why do you think that is? And what, are the, what do you think they might have taken from it? Yeah, I suppose the school things is a little bit a little bit different. I, I was with, um, went to our Chiefs uh, under, I think it was under 20s or under 18. No, it was schoolboy camp last year. And um, I just sort of went in there and I said, you know, I, if I talk to you about mental skills, you know, if I talk to our All Blacks that are with us, Every day, I asked a few of them throughout the week, what would you say to a bunch of 18-year-olds about mental skills? And um, they said, number one, I wish I'd started it earlier. And number two, it makes a hell of a difference in my performance. And so those were sort of those two realities. So I went into the group and delivered what I need to, but I sort of came out thinking, like if we've got our top-line people saying, geez, I... I, I really wish I'd access this information earlier and it really makes a difference, then why are we holding off or why are we restricting or why are we preventing um, that sort of information and, 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 and knowledge and tools and support? Why are we waiting till they leave school or why are we waiting till they get into a first team? How do we actually begin to deliver it? And what I found is that the subject matter that I would teach to a super rugby player is exactly probably what most 16-year-olds need to figure out right so you know for example i've got a 17 year old daughter and um a 12 year old son and so i was at cricket this year at a cricket camp with my 12 year old son and it was really really interesting because you know all the parents are and i'll probably like you mate like when i go to those things i just gotta zip my lip because some of the stuff i hear i just don't have the time or energy and it's not gonna be that profitable to jump and say anything. but you know, you know, one of the young fellas said to another young fellow, he's like, oh, you know, we've got 20 to chase. We've got four overs, you're an ex. Man, this is going to be so great for you. And uh, the parents piped up straight away and said, oh, no, 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 don't put extra pressure. Don't put extra pressure on. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is the problem with our 
our the way we're approaching our young people. Um, you've got kids, mate. They are under pressure now. They're going to be under pressure tomorrow, and they're going to be under pressure in a year. So we've got this notion that we need to uh, insulate them from pressure. I think it's the opposite. I think we need to expose them to pressure and help them have the tools to navigate through pressure so they end up walking towards it in their life rather than just having it overwhelm them. And so that sort of became the, I suppose, the genesis of my conversations with schools is right. You know, your PE programs are really, really good and, you know, you've just come through a pandemic, but are we actually giving our kids the tools and their mental skills, so their, their skills to be trained and developed and learnt, are we exposing our young people to those, which could be really critical and necessary for them during this time, because we know in their world pressure will continue to remain um, and we can't protect them from it. So that was sort of, you know, where it sort of sort of came from, if that makes sense. And so with the schools, have you kind of co-created a, let's call it like a, a mental skills curriculum? Yeah, yeah. So we, I created about eight, eight hours lessons, and so I'll create them, and then I, um, then the schools use them. Then I'll just help them with it, uh, with the delivery side. So I look at, like I said, mental skills program. I look at two sides, like there's design, which is content, information, tools, application sort of stuff, and then there's delivery. How are you going to get it to the people in front of you? And so the great things about working with schools and teachers, they're normally pretty good at delivery, eh? Because and it's not foreign for them to be handed or to be given a curriculum for a certain subject and figure out how, they, how they're going to deliver that. So most of my work has been in the creation of the, I suppose, of the content, if you want to use that term, the design of the program, and then just partnering with the schools as they go about delivering it. And, you know, some of the feedback from the schools that have already been done have been pretty awesome. Yeah, what's, I mean, and, and, and how creative have they been with some of the delivery I was I think it'd be a great space to be pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's probably going to depend on teacher and school, right? It's a little bit like coaches, eh? Like you look at a coach and you go, how good is this coach going to be at delivering, you know, the game plan or a theme for the week? And you're like, well, you know, some people are really, really good at it and some people struggle a little bit. So I think it's probably along those lines. But, you know, there's certainly, there's been so much um, energy and, and I think enough now good feedback that, these kids are going, listen, you know, things like my identity and figuring out who I am and, you know, things like being authentic and true and things like having a process that allows me to be at my best, things about learning how to walk towards pressure rather than avoiding it. These are really important to me and they're really helping me navigate through my life. So that was, you know, that's good signs that it's hitting the mark in that regard, which will be down to the schools doing a great job delivering it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean, it would be pretty helpful, wouldn't it? Just and and either like, are they, and I guess they're doing some of it explicitly, so they're having lessons, but some of it they're actually maybe changing some of their behaviours and and doing it more, you know, secretly. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, well, some of, some of them are doing like a scholarship program. Some of them are doing it within their rugby teams, but then like there's schools where. You know, there's a couple of schools that are planning. This is getting rolled out to like 1,500 students when they go back to school in September. So some are going like, we think every student needs to be exposed there. But that's a bit of work to create buy-in across across the whole school program, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You reminded me of uh, when I did a thing with New Zealand Sevens, I asked them all to bring an object. I might have told you this story. And Tom mm. Martin, who's the analyst, he turned up with a door and uh, they found yeah. in the skip. 
And he said uh, New Zealand Sevens had helped him uh, walk towards and through doors that he'd previously not done. I thought it was a pretty yeah. good analogy. But again, oh, like, that's a great analogy. You would want, um, yeah, some way of celebrating people walking through doors and towards yeah. the pressure and all of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And it is a difference. Like, we're not, it's a little bit like anything. We don't want to overexpose people beyond their capability to deal with situations. So we're not saying, let's just absolutely heap pressure on you and watch you crumble. But it's saying, like, do we have a mindset where pressure becomes something we understand that's critical for our development and we have to walk towards it in order to grow rather than something we avoid our whole lives and never really have the tools to deal with it. So you know that that high performance and pressure are synonymous. Like they just, you can't have one without the other. So, you know, your relationship with pressure becomes, like, is, it, is it something you walk towards or something you avoid? So, you know, in a rugby setting, we would use the term, well, I'd use the term a lot with, you know, guys that, you know, don't really like the pressure. I call them the guys that underplay. And guys that don't like the pressure but try and do too much, they overplay. You know, it's the the fight versus flight. And so, you know, if you can translate, I suppose, into those examples, you'll be able to see certain characteristics that are a result of their relationship with pressure manifesting in play. I'm thinking of Mackenzie. So I think that's like the last hour of many months, he's been walking towards a lot of pressure. I know he's currently banned and... Possibly, but um, like his goal kicking stuff and the whole smiling thing, which mm. kind of, which often I'll say to people, smiling is quite helpful. It releases nice stuff mm. in your body, and people far wiser than me, like you, would be mm. able to explain that better. But what, I mean, what have you noticed with with D- with Mac, as I'm now calling him? Yeah, I suppose from last year to this year, I think he's made a pretty massive shift around what I probably referred to, um, you know, around the overplay. Like, if you, I think if you talk to him, he'd be very honest about the times, particularly when we were losing last year. And when I talk about overplay, the characteristics of overplay would be try and solve everything in that moment, try and do it by yourself, and, go, and doing it outside of the structure that you've created. So there's three sort of characteristics, right? And you can almost identify you think a player's going through your head now you'd almost go overplay 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 so his tendency which is a great tendency in, in some regards is when pressure comes I want to I want the ball I want to stand up and I want to do the damage now if you don't um, if you aren't able to direct that appropriately it then becomes quite um, self-orientated so we need to win but I need to solve the problem we need you know it's sort of that sort of stuff so I think, you know, when I watch him play this year, I think, you know, like if you've got it one end overplay, the other end underplay, I think in the middle it's just play. And it's allowing your instinctive skill set that you've developed over time to be fully immersed in that, not um, deviating from that because of outcome or pressure outcome or scoreboard or time pressure. So I reckon he's done quite a magnificent job of just playing. You know, he's just, you know, I couldn't speak more highly of him just as the way he approaches pressure. You know, I keep on wanting to say, like, after each kick, you know, we, we always get, were you nervous? He goes, nah, nah, I love it. This is what I live for. I'm like, yeah, you're a little bit different. <laughs> what do you think's helped him? I think he's, um, I think he understands where he fits within our team. And, you know, like, 
there's, I don't know, there's a better team man than Damien McKenzie. Like, his care for his teammates and, you know, for our team is just immense. So, you know, like, he cares so much, but I think he's directed that care into just doing his role really, really well and trusting the men around him and not trying to overplay in critical moments where in the past he may have done that. And, and let's and let's talk about the Chiefs. I mean, clearly, like, yeah. there's a, a reasonable losing streak that was actually being attributed. It's interesting, isn't it? Even even for the current, for the, the coaches who joined after Gatland, like, it was like, they were saying, like, it's an 11-game losing streak. And I was thinking it was only, like, one for them. But it was still, yeah. like, this yeah. streak that's getting attributed to to your coaching, um, like what, what's changed? Like what's the difference between the, is it, is it something that you think was always going to happen as some stuff happened that's different as, you know, well, yeah, I'm just curious. Yeah, I mean, you look at, yeah. It, it, it is literally like, uh, you know, you, this season to being in a final season is like, it's a reasonable change. And I'm sure that, yeah. that some of your stuff had some impact on it clearly, but I'm just curious. What have you noticed? Well, it's a hard one, mate, because, say, last year we lost, I think it was five games within five points in the last 10 minutes. This year we won six games within five points in the last five minutes. So the knife edge is still pretty sharp, isn't it, there? Yeah. You know, so, so you know, I would think, you know, people ask, oh, you must be doing really, really good work in there this year. And I just sometimes I feel like saying, well, it's not much different from last year as far as like what I'm trying to do with the group. But, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's quite a sad thing in some ways that outcome determines the work, like or values the work or not values the work. And I understand that it's sports. So, um, but I look at last year and I thought, you know, some of the work that was being done was awesome across the coaching team and we keep losing. And then, you know, I think there was a pretty confident, um, assumption that the tide will turn, like, and not just saying that. And for me, I suppose a turning point, um, which is a very public turning point to me, was watching the second half against Crusaders. I remember we lost down there. I think it was 38-17, and, and we struggled at the set piece. And um, But there was a second half, I don't know, I just saw something. I saw, like, Crusaders might have put most teams away by 50 on a night like that, and we just wouldn't go away. And I just thought, oh, there's something here. And it's not may maybe in the performance right now, but it's definitely in the care. It's definitely in the these men are going to go to to fight for each other, going to play for each other, really proud of the jersey. And they'll be really hurt. And I don't know, maybe just something in that second half. And then the next week we're down, you know, I think 26-7 at halftime to the Hurricanes and just played 40 minutes of rugby. I know it was just one of those nights. And then all of a sudden you feel confident. It's so weird. I mean, we all feel it. Like, you have one win, you know, and the assumption was we get a win. I, I was hoping and thinking, man, I reckon we'll go good now because all the good stuff's there. And now that's just been reinforced. You know, I think that's what happens with teams. You do lots, like we talk about process versus outcome. And if all of your process is sharp, you still need some, I say a little bit of icing on that KK. You still need some outcome to confirm the effectiveness of your processes. And so you can have this deep trust in your processes, but when it's confirmed by outcome, I think that's where you move into confidence. Like we've now had our 
process is justified by an outcome, we're confident that we're on the right path. Yeah, I just think back to like how different weeks can be depending upon whether you win or you lose. And even like oh. like even people's experience of like the, the night after the game or the you know the last yeah. ten minutes on the pitch and yeah, it can make such a difference, can't it? And I think sometimes it's quite hard for us when we're losing regularly to go to take mm. some of the good stuff and be going, looks we are we're we're kind of getting there. Yeah, yeah. Even though we lost, yeah. like we've done, you know, we've actually done great stuff. It's yeah. uh, sometimes hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I think it's always the fight with coaching. So I think there's two extremes to what you're talking about. There's on one extreme, which we've seen, not so much now, it used to be uh, outcome obsession, right? So you've got to win at all costs. And it doesn't matter how you get there. But I think in modern sport, we've got this pendulum swung and like right down at this end is what I call process apathy. And so process apathy is a walking through of a process without actually measuring the effectiveness of it in performance. And, and I think that's a real danger with the modern coaching because someone, you know, they read, they read, read John Wooden's book or they read Bill Walsh's book and they've come to this great conclusion. You should never worry about score, never look at the scoreboard. Um, and I, there's, there's real veracity to that. But the other side of it is, is that if your processes aren't producing good performance, then your processes are broken. Yeah. And, you know, and, our, and talking, going back to that win and loss, like there's the ecstasy of winning and then there's the agony of defeat. So you think as a coach, you've got to deliver your process into that atmosphere and you've got to be critically aware of it. So how you would deliver your review and the measurement of your processes and what processes you think are important and how you're evaluating that. That's always got to be undergirded by the fact that do we have a bunch of men who are absolutely pumped because they've got through something here and you could probably go at them a little bit harder, you know, around the stuff that's not so flash. Or do we have a bunch of people in the room who are more on the agony, not ecstasy side? And if you go hard at them today, you may deflate them in a permanent way. So then how do you then get into that group and have them trust again, have them trust, trust, work, work, put in the effort, non-outcome. All right. So you're asking us to do this again this week. Yeah. Like that's, the, that's the art of coaching to me in the human side and in the psychological side is going, how do I walk into a room post-result and deliver effectively a message and connect with the men in front of me because I'm able to recognize where they're at emotionally that day. Hey, will you tell everyone what you're up to at Core 37? Hi, Fletch. We're a teamwear brand based in the Northeast, and we're the sister company of Oddballs. We've got the largest sports sublimation factory in the UK, and we've produced for the biggest brands in Europe over the past seven years. But with Core 37, our in-house brand, you can now access those prices direct to the customer. Why would people use Core 37? Uh, if I was to pick three, Fletch, it would be our lead time of three to four weeks, our price, which is lower than anybody else in the industry, and the fact that we're made here in the UK. What's the stuff you're most proud of with Core 37? Oh, there's loads of stuff, but the, the key one for me would be working for a company that, that genuinely believes in its own mission statement, which is to produce performance sportswear at an affordable price. And then underpinning that is the people. Everybody who works here is involved in grassroots sport in some way. And so we generally care about what we're doing here. Fletch, why do you want to partner with Core 37? 
apart from the fact you're a Geordie, uh, great people, uh, lots of people involved in sport, really affordable and top quality. Thanks for joining us, Wilkie. Anyone who wants to find out more can go and have a play on their website at core-37.com or they can reach out directly to tom at core-37.com. You got me thinking about like coaches across the world, like teaching people how to put their socks on like John Wooden and then assuming, yeah, yeah. assuming they're going to win games. And I guess yeah. how often do we test our processes either through external external people or through like cause and effect? Is it actually, yeah. or is it even transferring? And if it is transferring, is it then yeah, yeah. like helpful to help us yeah. to win some games? And of course, then also, like I guess you might not have the best team in the competition. So there is no point in it. You know, if you're Italy in the Six Nations, well, you can't be outcome focused. No. Because it's, but then again, how do you ever know if you're pretty, oh, mates? It's a whole can of worms, and it's coaching, isn't it? Um, well, it's coaching, and it's the fact that there's maybe a, a better place to start is what are our non-outcome success measures that we hang our hat on every week, and then, you know, if they're not if they're not producing performance. So when I think about process, all I think about, mate, is what are key activities we need to do during a week to be at our best. That's all. So that's all it is. It's nothing more than that. So do we still think these are the right activities for us to be doing? So, right, you know, I think for a professional rugby player right now, they believe that you do recovery, you do gym, you do a clarity session, you have a day off, you do an intensity session with maybe a bit of gym, do a captain's run and you play, right? That's just globally tradition where people have decided that those are the right activities to produce the best performance. Um, the challenge with that process now, everybody's doing it the same. So those that, having success or not having success will be down to the quality of the work they're doing in the system they've created to make sure those key activities are done at a high level. And then interestingly, Saracens, and again, we could argue that they're some of the best players in the competition. I don't think they ever lost a game after an away trip drinking. Mm. So mm. they actually, so that, that broke all the traditions, didn't it, of what a, yeah. of what a preparation week looks like because actually ingesting large amount of alcohol was probably wasn't on the list but actually yeah. it then which goes back to the breadth of coaching right so that someone's understood the environmental social benefit of connection and have thought that may actually <clears throat> have more value to us than not doing it so whatever that connection looks like yeah and i think like as a coach you gotta gotta know that sometimes like i used to do a pyramid i haven't done it for a while but i was thinking about it today actually where I'll do a pyramid and up the top would be fun, focus and connection. And then I just ask the coach to go put where they think their sweet spot for their team is. And then every week when you come together, going, where are we? Are we close or near our sweet spot? And if we have got, gone more towards the focus corner or more towards the connection corner or more towards the fun corner. So we're having a lot of fun, but we're not getting the quality of work. Or we need to bring a bit of focus in this week. So, you know, I think that's probably that's the the wider bit of coaching isn't it to understand where you're at yeah. as a team and uh, i suppose in that mental emotional space and danny newcomb would talk about that as like his session intention locator and that might be our weak intention but again as coaches like are we are we clear on that stuff you also made me think about so sailor going great guns over here and they just be bristol at the weekend and mm. uh, they climbed a mountain together last week like alex anderson mm. would be really 
and he's been like it's been obvious that he's he's into the mental skills part of their week and he thinks the connection and shared experiences that are away from rugby are a big part of that mm. and I guess it got me kind of thinking about like where's it currently fitting into the Chiefs week so is it I've seen a couple of videos of you like meeting Anton Leonard Brown for coffee one on one and mm. some of the big names how else does it fit into the week how does it fit in with the coaches for example uh, and I know you're not necessarily there all the time and do you feel like it's like you're having more impact around like on pitch stuff as well where where does where, where are you at what chapter are you at at the moment with this yeah I think it's a, a good question like I had been looking at sort of a progressive model for teams so around mental skills so I would think you know start here or that's at the top but I'm really meaning the bottom which would be no program okay so that's pretty common for teams that don't have resources, don't know anyone. Also, teams that think they've been winning a lot don't need it. So that would be no program. One step down would be a minimalist program, which is someone comes in pre-season for three days and then you see them mid-season and end the season. You know, then you've got a deficit program, which is good. We've got someone around just to help people out who aren't doing well. You know, Then you've got a skill sort of program, which is yep, this is part of a skill. We need to train it. It's part of our performance. And then I think at the bottom, which would just think about at the top, what I would call be an integrated model where you're a coach and you're coaching performance, you're coaching leadership, coaching coaches, maybe helping coach the culture. And you're sort of able to spread your fingers across the different aspects that relate to the environment. So, you know, I think in our case, we're starting to get more towards where we're really, really where we want to be. Um, 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 and what would that look like, like on a weekly point of view? So is this something as coaches that they're talking more about, they're reviewing, they're reflecting on it, they're, you know? Yeah, we have a mindset pillar every week. So, you know, we have a mindset pillar that we set up for the week. Um, you know, depending on the day I may do, you know, a session probably most weeks with the guys, which is not a long session, might be five or 10 minutes at the end of the session, just around, you know, like what are we going to do for our mindset messaging? How are we going to deliver that? You know, what does that look like? How do we translate it? And then, you know, obviously quite a bit of one-on-one work. So um, the one-on-one work is pretty extensive, I suppose. So you've got young fellas who are just trying to figure out who they are and we'll work on that for the year. And you've got guys that have played over 50 test matches really at the razor edge of wanting to find that last little bit out of their performance. And what have you noticed about like the players and the coaches? Are they more curious than they've been before? Are they more engaged as, as yeah. more of the map gets revealed to them? Are they? Yeah, I think it's, it's probably, it's probably the phase of the team. So like, I think before I was in there, they have a guy, I had a guy called David Galbraith, who I just love and think is an incredible mental skills provider and sports psychologist, just world class. So he, but the guys are a little bit older there that always had had a, a priority on doing the mind work. Um, but then a lot of people weren't part of that era either who have really, you know, I mean, the thing about New Zealand rugby is you do get some exposure from quite young. It might not be hugely detailed, but it's not often just once you get into the first team, you hear about, you know, mental skills for the first time. So, you know, like, you know, I sort of always had a, policy with teams that I've worked with, especially with large numbers like a rugby squad is sort of a principle of just feed the hungry. So make myself very clear at the start of the year, if you want to grow, I'll give you everything I've got and I'll help you, but I'm not chasing you. Um, 
you've got to want to grow in this space. And some people are a little bit slower on that and some people are right into it. And some people, I suppose, mate, some do it out of desperation, some do it out of curiosity, um, some do it out of a, just a raw hunger to find that little bit of edge. So I think there's quite a large spectrum of engagement, but everyone's probably at quite a different part on their journey. Nice. I got a message off David Galbraith the other day and he signed it off with Stay Weird. So I love, yeah. I love him more than you can imagine. Yeah. And, and do, you, do you feel like the players are hungry? Um, I think they've always been relatively hun- hungry. I think, you know, like I think of, you know, when I go into a team, I normally concentrate my first year on just two or three things. So just sort of, you know, I'm a one, two, three guy, so you can appreciate this, mate. Um, but you got to build connection. Okay? So you can build trust or create connection to build trust. Once you've built trust, you can deliver honesty. And so my whole work, I think, in the first year is really trying to create connection and build trust. So, you know, and the connection part is, well, who are you? Who's your family? What's important to you? So that they know when we begin to go into the more vulnerable space, which is about how they might feel about pressure or how they're responding to the, the weight of being a professional for the first year or how they're not coping with social media, whatever those things may be, there's a ability for us just to sit there and go, okay, well, you trust me. Um, I've got to know you. I care about you. I'll open up. And once that opening up and trust happens, then you're able to be quite honest. So delivering honesty without connection is a complete waste of time, right? It's like eating a bag of wet potato chips. It's like, really? You're gonna, you think you've earned the right to be honest with me without building the care first. And so that whole care and challenge, you know, you got to build care to earn the right to challenge. And so I think to build care, trust, connection, I think that's one job. Once that's established, then that coaching side can really emerge. Yeah, my sense is your head coach would have a pretty good understanding also of like yeah, Chief's great. identity and some of the Maori stuff. Is that like... I guess that's pretty helpful for you as well, that you have a coach that, yeah. that would value that stuff yeah. and and would understand, like, lots of well, like, where players came from. Yeah, and I think, you know, I've been really fortunate over the years to have some coaches that understand that, you know, the identity piece of a team is really, really important. And the great thing about identity is that you inherit it rather than create it in most cases because you're not, starting a new team right so identity isn't always positive so you know we might think of some teams now in the premiership for example and their identity is um they underperform they're lazy um and they don't stand up when it matters like that might not be the identity they want but that's the identity that is real and so you know fortunately with (coughs) chiefs mana and being from the region so much work had been done by you know, guys like Renz and Smithy and even going way back before that, that, you know, this was going to be a team that would be really linked to the community and it would be a team that would draw its identity from the people that they were rep- it was representing and that we didn't have to get a whiteboard out and create that. There were certain traits that existed within the people who loves the Chiefs and our job was to mirror it back to them and for them to look at it and go, well, you know, that's a team that we're really proud of. And if I think of one, the most joyous thing for me this year has not been necessarily the results and getting to finals and things changing. It's seeing people 
come to the stadium and they're saying we're proud of the Chiefs and we're proud to be associated with them and we feel like a bit of Chiefs money has been restored. And to me, that's the most special thing. I think of, I was watching, um, I was watching some football over the weekend and um, I'm going to get the, the team wrong, but who's the team that just got promoted? Is it Brentwood or Brentford? Brentford, Brentford mate. Brentford. And, <clears throat> you know, like I saw a beautiful photo of a guy sitting in the stand and I don't know if it was true or not. He looked pretty old, but they were saying he stood in the stand and watched them in 1947 when they were last. He was a child when they were last in the Premier League. And here he is today watching them get promoted. Like, yeah, what does that do to a region, to a town, to a city, to a people, and the pride of joy that this thing called sports can bring? So, you know, we've been really fortunate to have that identity handed to us, and we've probably got to guard that really quite preciously in the years to come. And the whole team, including, you know, Clayton's been outstanding and just making that alive for the men every week. So, you know, they're quite proud of being part of the Chiefs community. Without going into it too much, like, would you have some pretty strong rituals around this stuff? Yeah, massive. Yeah, that are pretty important and pretty central to, to who we are, which are drawn from Maldinum, so which we all resonate with being Kiwi. So it's, yeah, yeah, there's some, it's, yeah it's, it's a big part of our, of our environment. Nice. And then I just had, I, did, I was just curious. So you said I'm a, I'm a one, two, three kind of guy. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. However, some people might be a two, one, three or a three, one, yeah, two yeah, kind yeah. of guy. So how do you find, like, I'm, I'm just curious, like, and I guess you've probably got to this stage through lots of kind of getting this wrong and lots of different environments mm. and, like how how are you how are you adapting? So what's the stuff where you go in? Yeah, how 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 much are you having to adapt to meet the people in front of you, and, and what I think what's helping you with? Yeah. I think oh, a connection. So like if I know what matters to someone, and I know what's important to them, and I can begin to discover how they learn, then that that knowledge and connection enables me then to shape my message in a way that I think would resonate. Um, with them so depending on background um, where they come from you know who's their family um, so you know like some of our Pacific Island boys we know family is so critical to them so we have to relate to them very much in that mode and make sure we care for them as an important part of, of that's their makeup and so then we have to communicate messages in ways that um, that help them but I'm actually I'm pretty honest about it like I'll say to them What's the best way for me to help you? And just try and like have them tell me, like, you know, I know the information and the tools, but I might not. I need their help too to find out what what way they learn best. And so someone like Sam Kane, for example, will say, "Well, if I can't practice it during the week, I can't use it in a game." Like this is straight up. <laughs> okay, so we got to help you. You know, like he's just that's him. So you know, I don't want any fluff. Just, you've got to be able to deliver this in a way where I can start training it this week to use it in the game on Saturday. Yeah, we don't ask those type of questions enough as coaches, do we? Like, yeah, just what? Well, I don't know how they learn. Eh? Like, I'm not. A, I can't guess. Like, I think same. Like with marriage, like one of the worst things in marriage is that you or your partner assume that you should know what they're thinking. Like, and if you come in and you're a little bit down in that, and you go sit in your chair and you don't say anything for the first ten minutes. 
you expect them to be a mind reader where it'd be so much easier if they just came and said, listen, you don't see them yourself. Is there something going on? And you're like, yeah. Or you walk in yourself and go, I just need 10 minutes. Had a bit of a rough one. I'm probably a three out of 10. I just need a bit of space. I'll be fine. So it's this whole thing of assumption that somehow we're meant to, because we're a coach or because, you know, we've been with someone in my case for 20 years, I don't always read the mind. I can't read the mind. So I need you to help me understand what you're experiencing so I can deliver what I need to deliver back to you in an effective way. And I appreciate that marriage uh, counseling guide. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's, that's, you know how you talk, you know how you talk before about like, I suppose you've made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> yep. That's it, mate. You've nailed it. That's probably yeah. where I make the most. Yeah. I wish I could have read my wife's mind earlier. Um, about the vaccination. Um, <laughs> I think I could, but I just, I'll leave it in your hands. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, mate. And last, last thing that I'm interested in, like, so loads of stuff's kind of, you, you've been delivering a lot of stuff in lockdown. Like, what have you learned? What's, what's been the bits that you feel like have, have helped you during lockdown as well? Um, what, I've, what I've probably learned is that, um, that shared learning to me is just an amazing thing. You know, like, like I've got on Zoom calls from with guys all over the world who have reached out or I've reached out to them, and I've just been blown away with the high quality of stuff that they they know and they talk about. And you just, I just take my notebook right away, and then I come home and I'm like, geez, it's just like a treasure chest of, you know, you just feel like you've got handed something really special, like. Um, as you know, like Owen Eastwood, who's you know dear friend of mine, we connect pretty regularly. Sometimes I get off the phone with him after our weekly call, and I'm like, I just need to sit and download that. That was unbelievable. You know, I suppose that's the learning part. Where there's just so many outstanding people out there. I don't know. You get to do this for a living, I suppose, through the Magic Academy. But do you sometimes get off your podcast and go, "This is just another absolute beauty." that I didn't see coming. And there's so many people out there who are just doing some amazing stuff that yeah. I don't think I would have Since known. Since you asked, I've yeah. been writing a lot of notes. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I genuinely, and of course I want to share the podcasts, but like yeah. I'd be pretty happy if no one listened. Like yeah, I, yeah. I would feel like it, it's, it's a good use of my time once a week yeah. to check in with people and kind of learn some stuff and, bounce some mm. stuff around and, and I think you've hit the nail on the head so even with your my assumption is that with your courses you're often the one delivering some knowledge but the reality is like and being on that whatsapp group there's some there's so much like knowledge and so smart <laughs> yeah it's like I put it together but I'm not the smartest in that room not even close and that's that's what I think. That's what they're saying on the WhatsApp group mate that's what they're saying yeah they're like they don't even ask me anymore like just figure it out yourselves um but I think going back to your question, I think it's important to know that lockdown has enabled us to uncover some hidden gems that we never, ever would have liked. Even our relationship, this wouldn't have happened if we didn't have lockdown. No, no, no. Like, it's just, ha you know, like lockdown just created a, a platform to connect with people you normally wouldn't with. And, and then you just end up learning heaps. Yeah. And I give a shout out to Owen because his book's out and I've started reading yeah. it. So, uh, Belonging is uh, yeah, belonging is going to be like you know, and I'm a bit biased because you know, been on the journey with him a little bit. Is that I think it's going to be a massive, massive, impactful book. 
you know, when people understand that, you know, this whole thing about culture and environment that we've tried to handle from so many multiple areas. I don't know, when you when you begin to marry, you know, like his understanding of the evolutionary need of people to be part of a team. And then once they're in that team, what needs to happen for them to thrive? I don't know, the way he brings it across. I mean, if you're leading a team, you'd be silly not to, you know, go out and buy the book and figure out how do I implement this. You know, I saw a thing on LinkedIn the other day from a mate of mine who just tagged his whole, uh, he, he leads a provincial union, um, counties Manukau. And he's like, this is our book for the year. <laughs> just, I've decided. And, you know, that's how it should be. So, you know, I think Owen, Owen deserves all the credit, but I think, I don't know, mate, I reckon it's going to be a pretty massive, it'll have massive impact. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, and it seems so obvious, doesn't it? And actually, I think that <laughs> the evolutionary lens of it is uh, is very yeah. helpful, isn't it? I can, I, I see it all that, you know, you just... Just makes sense. Makes sense. Stuff just makes sense. You're like, of course, that's why. Yeah, and I wonder, I wonder, and, you know, I'm always going to ask you a question here, mate, like, you talk about evolutionary knowledge obtained for how teams and tribes have functioned and how we need to recognize that. Has anyone ever done any work on the evolution of coaching and how coaching has been and what are the needs that people have when they're being coached and how do we maximize that? I think we're, I think we're a long way off would be my view. Mm. Uh, mm. We're writing a book at the moment, so watch this space. Oh, yeah. Well, don't you think, like, because of uh, technology and the age we're in and this whole thing of coach education, which has become an industry within itself, um, there is a danger that we do feel, and I'm a coach, so I'm speaking to myself here, that we've kind of sort of cracked the code where, I don't know, have we looked back enough through <laughs> coaching or do will we mostly view co coaching historically as archaic and simplistic and, know whether there's a bit more to it than we think yeah no i think it's like corduroy you know like it comes back in fashion doesn't it there's lots of cycles yeah, yeah. and but actually yeah. there'd be like you know there wouldn't be i guess like i'm trying to always look back and go like what do i think coaching is and what did yeah. i think it was a year ago and how have i evolved and and, mm. and what's the kind of what's the stuff that i think is really important mm. um I, I don't think it would be too far away from like the olden days, really. We might have changed some practices and I think lots of other areas have advanced from like, you know, we have our understanding of physiology and training and all of that yeah. stuff. But uh, yeah. So without, without delving into it too deeply, because you might have a book here, but what are the things in coaching? Like you asked me before someone asked you like a year ago to now, or not even that, like what are the things that have become really important to you, Coach? Because you have these conversations all the time, eh? Yeah, so my favourite conversation during lockdown was with Suzanne Brown, who's a clinical psych. And it was probably for me just to go, like, what is it? What do I think coaching is? It's actually been a really helpful conversation with lots of coaches. So I'm off to see a coach tomorrow in Wales. And, like, it was where I felt like, we we kind of had a spark was when we both kind of shared what we thought coaching was and actually mm -hmm. explore some of the similarities and some of the differences and 
I mean, I, I think it's about connection. Like, it's the most important thing first. So, like, I see it as, like, family, really. Um, and then I think it's about problem solving and, as you would, like, understanding how people can be at their best and and what makes them wobble and what bus stop are people at because, as you, you know, you go in each time, you have to ask someone, like, you're essentially asking them what bus stop are you at? Like, how can I help you? What do you need from me? Share one thing that will help me coach you better. So... So if you think of all, you know, your relationships you have and say, look at them and say, premiership coaches this year, how many coaches do you think on a Monday morning go on with that lens or go in with the lens of what needs to happen tactically? Yeah, I mean, that's clearly like it's context specific, isn't it? So they'll be different. Mm. Like they'll probably shine the light more on. I'm not saying it's right or wrong or, you know, they'll yeah. shine the light more on. So they'll, for example, they'll, they'll shine the light more on They'll actually won't shine the light on problem solving that much, but I think they should. But I think it's because we don't know how to coach problem solving that well. Um, and, and they'll shine the light more on the team than the individual. I don't know whether yeah. that's something you've noticed. There'll often be team-based, lots yeah. of team-based activities that individuals will say, I don't feel like I was coached that much, or I think mm. that they missed some opportunities with me or to connect with me, especially if those people are outside this, the starting team. Um, so I just think they'll shine the light on different stuff and that's their context isn't it like yeah, they might lose their job at the weekend if they don't win a game and they think that this, this is the best way to prepare a team to win a game then mm. who am I to argue they're, 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 yeah, no, they know their context they know their context way better than me mm-hmm. yeah very true um, but it's a it's a great discussion talking of Sam Kane by the way I was on a on a World Rugby Zoom the other day, and Sam Kane was on it. And I was yeah. really excited. And I said to my son, I was like, I muted it. I was like, Fred, Fred, Sam Kane's on the Zoom. You know, the All Black captain, do you want to see him? And he just went, no, I'm all right, Dad. Like, <laughs> you were more excited. Like, yeah. seriously? Yeah. I was, I was more excited than my 16-year-old son. So, anyway. Yeah, no, I've just done, we just did a thing for a company called Unmind. And, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, so that's going to be about. We did two hours of recording, so they're going to come out as episodes. So hopefully that'll be quite good. But if he was pretty open. Each episode is kind of a separate stimulus. Yeah, so I interviewed him for two hours around like all the different parts of his performance and went through the sort of chatted around the adversity that happened with him with his neck injury. So I thought I thought it was pretty insightful. Like I know him pretty well, but sort of sit there and go, "Wow, okay." Really insightful. Yeah, like the, when you do something like that, like a podcast or something, it almost gives you permission, yeah. doesn't it? To, to yeah, go just to be, go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I agree. Yeah. I did the yeah. same for Ulster. <clears throat> so we did a piece with their academy around like, around their experiences of being in the schools, in the academy, what was helpful, what was unhelpful, lots of stuff around the psych. And I just, at the end of two hours, I was just blown away, if I'm honest, by mm. like, like when you say, like, you ask people, and sometimes the coaches will think, oh, the players don't know, or the, like, yeah, yeah. their understanding and their insight was just mind-blowing. Yeah. Like, if you ask, you ask a team on a Monday morning, like, we're going to do, do a quick hot test on our environment right now. Here's four things. Let's rate them. They nail it. They nail it. Like, nine times out of ten, they absolutely nail with what's going on in the environment and what needs to be fixed. Like, they're, they're pretty perceptive people. Good way to start week. 
I would be very surprised if many teams start a week like that. Yeah, it is a good way. Yeah, you just got like, I reckon with culture stuff, like all the teams are really good now at creating the blueprint or framework for it. But the engine room of maintaining it and living it and then making sure you are living it, that's where the magic happens. Yeah, mate, get them stand on, stand against the wall. There's zero ten. You can't stand yeah, yeah. in front of anyone. Like, yeah. how many steps forward do you think we took this weekend yeah. with our culture? Take yeah. that many steps yeah. forward. You can get some real good. Yeah. yeah, just like... Well, these are the expectations that, you know, the players have on the staff. Are the staff delivering on those expectations? Here's the expectations the staff have on the players. Are the players delivering on those? And, you know, let's talk about it. And how... Um... And and so this, I mean, and and how the staff are open to feedback around that stuff. I'm assuming you don't have a choice if you want to grow. Yeah, you won't last long if you can't take feedback, eh? Yeah, uh, you might do in some places over here, but you shouldn't. Is probably the uh, the yeah. reality of it. It's probably my culture. Kiwis are normally like, yeah, we'll we'll let you know then. Still support you, but we'll let you know how we're thinking and feeling. I guess that's what happens when the New Zealand Rugby Union runs your franchises as well. So that's different to an owner, isn't it? So you would have possibly more accountability. There are some private investors now. I think the Blues is quite a bit private. I think the Highlanders were private. I think there's a joint model in some regions, yeah. Um, But still ultimately governed and led by NZ Rugby, yeah. It's a good. Uh, it's a good one to finish on, mate. I think you, you're right. Yeah. You won't last long if you can't take feedback, um, yeah. mate. It's been a pleasure. Like uh, uh, always, is mate. Your anniversary. I know. I know. Almost a year. We'll have to be more um, intentional next time and pick out the date. Yeah, mate. No, it's cool. Well, look, mate. It's been a pleasure as always. Yeah. Awesome, bud. Stay safe. Good luck with the rest yeah. of the kind of competition. Yeah. I know you guys got a lot of. Traveling going on at the moment, and that'll definitely yeah. take. Yeah, I look forward to finish. Yeah, you know, I mean, when we finish off, then you know, I think next couple of months might take a bit of a breather. I think I'll run a course in July for coaches on the mental stuff, so I think I'll do that again and just rip into that. Nice, King of LinkedIn. Stay safe. I'll catch you. Ah. Okay, bud. Cheers, mate. Cheers, mate.